Hey, Genesis Church, thanks so much for joining us online today. My name's Steve, I'm one of the pastors here. And as we get started, I just want you to imagine that someone goes away and leaves you in charge of their most important possession. And maybe they ask you to do some pet sitting and so you're gonna watch their dog or cat while they're out of town. Maybe they want you to house sit for them. And by the way, could you take the Lamborghini out for a drive a couple times this week and just blow the cobwebs out of it? Uh, or maybe they trust you for the very first time, even with their own children. And as they're getting ready to leave, I want you to imagine they come to you and they say, hey, there's just one thing and it's the most important thing I want you to remember this week. And then they tell you what that most important thing is. And then you get partway through the week and all of a sudden you remember, oh no, what was the one thing that they told me I absolutely needed to remember? Because if you forget that one thing, you could have a disaster on your hands, right? I mean, the most important thing, don't forget, you need to give him his meds every day or he might die. Don't forget, the throttle on the Lambo sticks every once in a while, so you're gonna wanna ease it out of the garage very carefully. Or don't forget to feed my children, right? It's the most important thing. And if you forget that most important thing, you're likely to have a disaster on your hands. One of my favorite movies growing up was the movie Gremlins. It came out in the summer of 1984, uh, and I was a teenager at the time. Uh, by the way, the summer of 1984, best summer for movies of all time. Gremlins, uh, Ghostbusters, Karate Kid, The Last Starfighter, incredible movies. Uh, but also Cannonball Run 2 came out that summer. You can't win them all, okay? But Gremlins came out summer of 1984, and it's a great movie. If you've not seen it, uh, here's what happens. A man buys a creature called a mogwai uh, from a young boy in a shop to give to his son as a Christmas gift. And the boy gives him three rules. He says uh, he hates bright light and sunlight will kill him. He says, make sure not to give him any water. Don't give him water to drink and don't get him wet. And the third thing, and he says, and the most important thing is don't feed him after midnight. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know what happens. The new owner forgets about the most important rule and this cute, furry, innocent little mogwai turns into a whole herd of creepy, scaly, ugly, mischievous, dangerous gremlins. All because the person in charge forgot the most important thing he was supposed to be doing. So today I wanna to talk to you about what the writer of Proverbs would call the most important thing we're supposed to do. And I'm going to argue that we probably aren't doing it. And in fact, you're probably not even thinking about it. It's the most important thing that you never think about. And it's in Proverbs chapter four. So if you've got your Bibles, I wanna invite you to open them there. If you're looking for Proverbs, if you open your Bible right towards the center, you'll probably land in Psalms somewhere. If you take a right turn, the next book is Proverbs. Uh, for the next few weeks, we're, we're gonna be looking at studying uh, through a portion of the Old Testament known as the wisdom literature. Now, this includes the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Job, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago. And these books are referred to as wisdom literature because they reveal the collected wisdom of generations of godly people from centuries past. These books invite their readers to consider the complexity and simplicity of learning to live wisely, specifically when it comes to applying and obeying God's word in our everyday lives. 
Proverbs in particular is a collection of wisdom passed down from a father to his son. Now, if you're following along in the Planted series, you probably started Proverbs a week or so ago. And I love what the Bible Project video says about the book of Proverbs. It says, the purpose of Proverbs is to help us develop a set of practical skills for living in God's world. That the wisdom from Proverbs is not the same as the law, which is the thou shalt nots. And it's not the same as prophecy, which is the thus sayest the Lord's. Uh, but instead, it's the accumulated insight of God's people throughout the generations. And as such, they remind us that Proverbs are not promises, but they're probabilities. In other words, there are no salvation issues at stake here. But if you follow the wisdom from Proverbs, you're more likely to have a rich, satisfying, godly life. So in the process of reading Proverbs, you probably came across this one in Proverbs chapter four. And it starts out with not one, not two, but six, six warnings to listen to what the father has to say to the son. Now, kids, students, if you're watching at home, I want to tell you, if I'm your parent, I'm not going to warn you of something six times. I'm just not that patient. That's something I probably need to work on, quite honestly. But I'm not going to tell you something six times. I'm going to tell you once or twice at the most. But this wise, patient father tells his son six times in three verses how important it is to listen to what he's about to say. Here's how we're going to start, Proverbs 4, 20. He says this, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Six times, six times. And if that's not enough, he goes on to say this. And Proverbs 4.23 starts like this. Above all else. In other words, before you do anything else, you need to do what I'm going to tell you. If you don't listen to anything else I say, you should listen to this. What is so crucial like, what is so critical? What is so important that it's the most important thing that this father would tell his child? Well, let's look. Proverbs 4.23 says it this way. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Now, the word that's used here for heart isn't the literal organ, your heart, that pumps the blood in your body. The, the Moody Bible commentary defines it as the whole inner self, especially the mind, but including the emotions and the will. So this proverb is basically telling us to guard what we think about, to guard our emotions, to guard our inner being. And why? Because the author says, everything that you do flows from it. I, I love how this older translation says it. It says, uh, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I love that. Translation. I mean, picture a, a wellspring as a fountain of fresh, clean water sprouting up from the ground. You know, the, the definition of a wellspring is an original and bountiful source of something. And the implication here is that all of our life, the, the fullness of our life, the good in our life, the joy and the peace and the love that is a part of us, all of that comes out of our heart. But what we found out this year uh, what we learned day two, just day two of the planted reading plan, in fact, is that if we don't guard our hearts, it can also produce evil. That same heart that is in us that produces the joy and love and peace can also produce 
evil things. Remember this right before God sent a flood to destroy the earth in Genesis chapter six. It says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And that the Lord regretted he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So out of the heart can come the greatest good in life, but also the most tragic kind of evil. And because of that, what's more important than anything else we can do, says the wise father in Proverbs, is that we guard our heart. So let me ask you, what's your plan? What is your plan to guard your heart? Come on, you type A people who are watching at home, you have a plan for everything, right? If you want to retire at 55, chances are you have a plan for how much money you're going to save and what it's gonna cost you to live after you retire and what your investment returns will be. And you maybe even have a spreadsheet somewhere on your computer that says uh, how much you should be saving. And you're comparing that every month to what your investments are doing and how, what it's supposed to be doing. You've got a plan for retiring. Maybe if you're uh, trying to fit into that wedding dress or you're trying to fit into that nice suit after a year of living in sweatpants, uh, you probably have a plan. You've got a calorie plan that you're following at home. You're trying to eat less sugar or uh, eat less carbohydrates or, or exercise a little more. And so you're following a plan. If you're planning some athletic event, maybe it's a run that you signed up for or a long uh, bike ride. You've probably got a plan that tells you how much you're supposed to ride every day or how much you're supposed to run every day or how many times you're supposed to go to the gym. And every morning you look at that plan and you do what it says. Even when we were kids, when we were kids, we had plans for everything, right? Everything that happened. If there was a tornado, we had a plan. We were supposed to get up from our desks at school. We would practice this plan a couple times a year. You get up from your desk at school, you take your thickest, heaviest textbook, you walk single file or in an orderly fashion out to the hallway and you get down on your knees and you bend over and you put the heavy textbook over your neck and you sit there and wait for the alarm to go off to tell you that there's an all clear, right? Uh, or we had a plan for what happened if we caught on fire. We were supposed to what? Stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we practice this, right? We practice stop, drop, and roll. How many of you have ever used that? I hope none of you have had to use that, but I've got to tell you, as many times as I heard stop, drop, and roll in elementary school, I thought adults must just be catching fire all the time that we had to have this skill practice. We had a plan for stuff that was probably never gonna happen. We've got a plan for stuff that we want to happen. Why wouldn't we have a plan? for what the Bible tells us is the most important thing we should do. Above all else, guard your heart. Why don't we have a plan for that? Well, I think the answer is we don't know how. We don't know how to guard our hearts. In our society today, how do you guard your heart? We live in a society that is saturated with opportunities to be stimulated. We have an unlimited number of TV channels and movie streaming platforms and music services. Everyone that has an opinion has a platform and we can find them just by clicking a mouse or clicking a button on our phone. And we have a, a plethora. We're surrounded by places that offer any kind of food, any kind of drink, any kind of recreation or pleasure that our hearts desire. And most of us can't think of one single reason to deny ourselves any of those things. And to top it all off, our senses have become so dulled that most of us can't even be entertained by one thing or one person at a time. 
And so often we sit there in our living rooms at night, streaming one show on our television, playing a video game on our laptop, FaceTiming with a friend on our cell phone, and maybe for good measure, we've got a book open on our lap at the same time. <laughs> I gotta tell you, with so many images, so much media, so many things being propelled at us, guarding your heart has become a little bit like being a goalie when there's 20 soccer balls on the field. I mean, you, you can guard your heart against some things, but there's no way you're keeping everything out. I always thought it was kind of unfair that the Bible would give us this great piece of wisdom, right? This really great proverb with what appears to be this super important instruction and then not even tell us how. I mean, how do we guard our heart? But just this week, I reread this proverb and I realized it does tell us. It does tell us how to guard our hearts. And, and, and if we can just keep reading it in the next few minutes, I wanna show you three ways that the writer of Proverbs shows us how we can guard our hearts. So let's just uh, keep reading through it, okay? The first thing is this. First, we need to guard our tongue. Proverbs 4.24 says it this way. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Now, is this about profanity? Yes, for sure. I know Christians, I have friends, some of you are probably watching this today, who have told me that they believe that cussing is not sinful, that it's okay. And I got to tell you, I think that is just a bunch of bull loney, okay? Uh, that is not true. There are so many passages in scripture that speak about the importance of the words we say, including, not limited to, but including this one, Ephesians 4.29, says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So how much unwholesome talk does the Apostle Paul tell people in the church that we should allow? None, right? Zero. No unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But it's not just perverse talk. It's not just profanity. It's not just cursing. Proverbs warns us also of corrupt talk. And I would say that this includes gossip. Uh, this includes racist and discriminatory speech. Uh, this includes just really being a jerk in your speech. And so Paul says we should only allow what is helpful for building others up. That means go back and check your Facebook feed. And go back and check your Twitter account. Is everything you post helpful for building others up? I know that for a while I got extremely sarcastic on my Twitter feed, especially on social media, um, to the point of really being mean-spirited. And I didn't like myself. I didn't like who I was. I was just trying to be funny. I really wasn't trying to be mean, but I didn't like who I became on Twitter. So I, I got rid of Twitter. I don't go there anymore. It's a, uh, a social media platform I don't use because I didn't like the things I was saying there. You know, and I think the way to fix our speech on social media, uh, or anywhere for that matter, is to have a friend who thinks differently from you. You know, most of us don't have one friend that we regularly do life with, have conversations with, who voted differently than we do. Uh, we don't have one friend who thinks differently about vaccines or who thinks differently about current events or who thinks differently about uh, political parties or political candidates. We don't have one friend. We'd rather lock ourselves in an echo chamber surrounded by voices who are saying the same thing that we are because we're comfortable there and we know we're not gonna stir up any controversy among the people who think the exact same things. But that's a problem. So here's what I'm inviting you to do. 
Find a friend that thinks differently than you and go to lunch, go to coffee, invite them over to your home, have them for dinner and have difficult, respectful conversations about the things you disagree on. And then the next time you're thinking about posting something on your social media account, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram about a, a current issue or a political candidate, or instead of picturing yourself sending your brilliant, incredibly informed opinion out into the ether somewhere, imagine that you're speaking it across the table to that friend and see how your speech changes. I promise you, if you start to change the way you talk, you'll be on the path to guarding your heart. But that's not it. The second way that we can guard our heart, the Proverbs says, is to guard our eyes. Proverbs 4.25 says, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you. The things we look at, the things we take in with our eyes and also with our ears uh, have a direct impact on our hearts. In fact, you might even say that the eyes are the most direct path to the heart. I mean, think about this. When we first meet someone and fall in love, we call it love at first what? <laughs> love at first sight, right? It's about what we see straight from the eyes to the heart. This is true for all good things. Uh, when we see someone or something that is beautiful, it goes right to our heart. But it's also true for the things we need to guard our heart against. Things like pornography and things like violence. Things like hate speech and lyrics. Yeah, I know that's in your ears, but I know some of you, a lot of you watch your TV and movies with the subtitles on, so I'm counting it, okay? I'm counting that as well. But let's talk about pornography for a minute. Pornography has become a pervasive problem and not just in our society, but in the church and not just in adults, but in teens and even in kids and not just in men, but in women as well. And it's tearing apart our relationships. World-renowned psychotherapists, uh, John and Julie Gottman, who have studied the effect of pornography use on relationships. Now remember, these are secular psychologists, uh, not Christians, right? They say this. They say, we are led to unconditionally conclude that for many reasons, pornography poses a serious threat to couple intimacy and to relationship harmony. That, my friends, is an effect on our hearts. That is how the eyes affect the heart. We need to guard against that. Now, in a similar vein, I know many people who are affected by watching violence on television or movies. We've known for years that adolescents who watch violent movies or play violent video games are more likely to, be, to commit acts of violence. That was shown in a 1982 study a long time ago. But what's more recently come to light is that watching even short violent clips from action movies or horror movies um, can greatly increase anxiety in the viewer, resulting in things like a higher heart rate and higher blood pressure. In other words, scholarly, non-Christian scholarly articles have proven that what you see with your eyes affects what's going on in your heart. So if you wanna guard your heart, you gotta change what you watch and what you see. You've gotta guard your eyes. Finally, the proverb gives us one more, ways, one more way to guard our hearts, and that is to guard our steps. Proverbs 4.26 and 27 says this, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Friends, there are certain places where we are likely to go 
we're, we're just more likely to step outside of God's best for our lives there. And for you, if you struggle with gluttony, for instance, that place may be the pantry uh, or the donut shop. It might be the buffet. Uh, if you struggle with gossip, that place might be the home of a certain friend uh, that you know that when you go there, you're gonna talk about, she's gonna talk about, he's gonna talk about your other friends. And I gotta tell you, if you have a friend that will talk about your friends behind your back, they're probably gonna talk about you behind your back. Um, if you struggle with alcohol, you need to guard your steps against going to the bar or going to the microbrew pub or going to the winery. Now, please hear me out here, please, okay? I'm not saying you can't eat, can't drink, don't talk to your friends, don't, don't have any fun at all. Remember, we're not talking about salvation issues here. We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about practical skills for living in God's world. And if you want God's absolute best for your life, well, you need to get a little introspective, right? You need to check your heart. You need to think about where all those places that I go that affect what's in my heart. What makes me feel good? And what makes me feel icky? Like what, what, are, what are the things that I'm doing just to numb the pain from work or from a broken relationship or just from life? And how can I best avoid those things that are not God's best for me? Like Jesus said he came so that we could have life and have it abundantly. What are the things that are preventing me from having that abundant life that Jesus promises in John 10? Now, as I start to wrap up here, I wanna to talk to a couple different groups that are watching right now. I know there are those of you who are joining us today and you're caught in an addiction or a habit and it's so bad. It's so bad, you don't know how to get out of it. You can't guard your heart because you always have to be on the computer for work and that's where your troubles start. Or you've got a, a painkiller habit or an alcohol habit and you're using it to numb the pain from your relationship or from the difficulty of being a parent or of not being a parent or some really difficult situation. I just wanna remind you today that if you are in Christ, you have God's Holy Spirit living inside of you. And as God reminded the prophet Zechariah, the things that seem impossible are done not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead after three days rotting in a tomb, that same spirit that brought sight to the blind that allowed uh, the lame to be healed, to walk again, to, that healed lepers of their sores and brought dignity back to those caught in sin. That same spirit lives inside of you if you are in Christ. Jesus has placed his spirit in you and you need to lean on him, not on your own strength. And now I wanna to talk to those of you who think you're too far gone, that maybe you've never even tried to guard your heart because, I mean, what's the point? You don't know how. You've never done it, so why should you start now and it's a wreck? You never thought about it and now you're mad at God because how could he have let you get this far and how could he do this to you? And, and how could a loving God allow these things to happen in my life? I just want you to know it's not too late. It's not too late for you. The story we're gonna read in a few weeks in the Old Testament uh, is about a nation, an entire nation who had completely turned their back on God 
The Bible says their hearts were hardened to God and they were unwilling even to hear his voice. And then God tells this to the prophet Ezekiel. He says, I will give them, I will give those people that have hardened their hearts, that have turned their back on me, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And I want you to know that God can do that for you too. God can do that for you today. He can, and he will if you just turn to him. Your, whole, your old heart can be not fixed, replaced. It can be replaced. It can be made new. God will give you, take your heart of stone and give you a new heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Don't you want that? Don't you want God's best for you? Don't you want that full, abundant life that Jesus said he came to give? Don't wait. Don't put it off for one more moment. We're gonna pray in just a minute and you can pray in that time to ask Jesus to come and be part of your life. Above all else, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Hey, uh, we're gonna pray here as we do, I just want to give you a moment of, of silence to reflect. I want you to ask yourself this question. Ask God this question. And then we'll pray a prayer together. Ask him, God, what is the thing? What is the barrier that's standing in the way of our relationship? Just bow your heads with me now and just ask that question. What's the thing, God? What's the barrier? Maybe you could even pray this prayer out of Psalm 139. Pray this along with me. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, we're in a time and a place where we are so bombarded by things all the time. We've got media and words and pictures and video and ideas thrown at us at a rate that none of us can fully process. And as we're sitting here trying to guard our hearts against all the bad while still allowing in all the good, um, Lord, it is overwhelming. I'm thankful that you've given us your spirit. I'm thankful that each and every one of us that has made Christ the center of our lives, has his spirit, your spirit, God, living inside of us, that uh, we can rely on that to guard our hearts. Lord, help us to do that. That thing you showed us, that barrier you showed us, help us even this week to do whatever we need to do, what you've told us today, to guard our eyes, uh, to guard our steps, not to guard our tongues. Lord, help us to do that thing that is gonna be most effective at guarding our hearts so that we can feel the abundant life that you came to give us. Thank you so much for the wisdom that comes from Proverbs. And thank you for showing us how to live a godly life in a world that doesn't seem so godly. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.